Hello and welcome to another edition of Todd Talks Bible. This engaging discipleship-based Bible study is sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. And our teacher is Todd Tolles, the founder and director of CDM. A career firefighter captain before entering the ministry, Todd founded Church Discipleship Ministries to equip and empower believers to fulfill your calling to be a spiritual warrior dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's listen in now as Todd Talks Bible. During the last half of the seven-year period of God's judgment upon the earth, called the time of Jacob's distress, God pours his wrath out in seven bold judgments. Does this cause the unbelievers to repent? Does the world acquiesce and submit to God? Well, let's talk about this and more coming up next. Hi, brothers and sisters. My name is Todd Tolles with Church Discipleship Ministries. I want to welcome you today to Todd Talks Bible, our discipleship program. And today, in our study, we'll be looking at Revelation chapter 15 and 16. These two chapters will cover the events of the last half of the time of Jacob's distress, that last three and a half years where God finishes pouring his wrath out on the evil and the wicked of the world. Let's begin in Revelation 15, starting in verse 1 and 2. And this begins what is known as the ceremony of the bowls in heaven. The ceremony of the bowls in heaven. Let's talk about this. Verse 1. Then I saw in heaven another significant event, and it was great and marvelous. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. I saw before me what seemed to be a crystal sea mixed with fire, and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps that God had given them. Now, this ceremony, just like all the ceremonies in heaven, is marking out a milestone. And all important milestones are marked by God to be significant with the ceremony, a very somber ceremony. And this, too, is a somber ceremony, even though you will see people praising God in it later. You see, God is going to complete His wrath, just like it says in verse 1, that these last seven plagues, the seven angels are holding the last seven plagues that would bring God's wrath to completion. In other words, it would be finished after these last seven plagues. And this ceremony also has a worship service in it. And this worship service, again, has a special choir in it. We've seen the special choir of the church after they were raptured worshiping God. We've seen last session the special choir of the 144,000 worshiping God. Well, this choir is all the people who were victorious over the beast. Look at it again. Verse 2. I saw before me what seemed to be a crystal sea mixed with fire, and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast, his statue, and the number representing his name. So this choir represents all the people, all the people who overcame the beast and his persecution, requiring everyone to worship his image and take his mark. All those believers who refused to do that, 
all those people who believed in Jesus and refused to worship the dragon and take the mark, they have been killed through the persecution of the beast, and now they are in the presence of Christ, and they have been given a heart by God himself, and they are fixing to have a worship service to mark out this somber ceremony of the seven bowls when God completes his wrath. Now, again, this group is different than the 144,000. These people are the fruit of the missionaries of the 144,000 Jews. The 144,000 missionaries spread the gospel, kept the truth going through this time of Jacob's distress, this seven-year period. And they have been slaughtered already, and they have been up in heaven and also had their worship service. But these people, these are the fruit of their labors, of the 144,000 labors. And this is the people who became saved because of the work of the 144,000 missionaries. Now, a lot of people think, therefore, these are probably all Jewish people. Well, it says all the people. So I can safely assume there are some Gentiles in this mix too. Jews and Gentiles, though probably it is probably a, a safe bet that most of the people here are Jewish believers. But I'm sure there's some Gentiles there too. Anybody and everybody who overcame and did not bow down to worship the beast and the, his image and take his mark, they have been slaughtered and martyred and persecuted, and now they're in heaven, and all of them are worshiping God. Whether they're Jew or Gentile, they are all celebrating and worshiping God during this ceremony that is fixing to show God's final judgments. Now let's look at the song they're singing. It says in verse 3, And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Now I think this is pretty interesting. Moses has, uh, you know, is, is known as the greatest prophet for the Jewish people. He's the one that led the people out of their captivity in Egypt. And he also, though, was a musician. Evidently, in his spare time, he wrote songs. And the Bible records three other songs that Moses wrote. One of them was in Exodus 15, the one that he wrote and led the people to sing, along with his sister Miriam. And they sang this to celebrate how God rescued them by parting the Red Sea and allowing them to cross on, on dry ground. And then when the Egyptian soldiers came riding across on their chariots, they were destroyed. The sea closed in on them. So the first song we are seeing that he wrote, this recorded in the scripture, is Exodus 15. But there's another one in Deuteronomy 32. That's kind of a prophetic song warning the children of Israel uh, how they kept sinning against God and how God was always faithful in the hopes that they would teach this song to their children and everyone would stay faithful. But there's a third song mentioned in the Psalms. Psalm 90 is written by none other than Moses himself. He wrote that psalm. And so these three songs show that Moses had a aptitude for music and wrote some very important songs. Well, this song that they're singing in heaven now during the ceremony of the seven bowls, they are singing what is called the Song of Moses, a song that he wrote. But notice also it says, 
They are singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And of course, the Lamb of God is Jesus, the Messiah himself. So this song that is going on in this particular ceremony that the choir is worshiping God with was co-authored by Moses and Jesus. Now I want you to take a moment and let that sink in. You see, heaven is a reality, and you're not unconscious in heaven, and you're not just up there uh, sitting on a cloud singing the same song over and over again. There's lots of activity, and this gives us a little glimpse of the activity that's going on in heaven. Moses, at one point in time, sat down with Jesus, the Lamb of God, and wrote this song to be used in the ceremony of the seven judgments, or the seven bold judgments. Let's look and see what this song says. Revelation 15, starting in verse 3. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your actions, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. So this song praises God for his great and marvelous deeds. And you might say, well, this is talking about judgment. Why are they praising God for what this, these awful judgments are fixing to happen? Well, again, you have to look at it from the biblical viewpoint. The people who are singing this have been put to death and martyred by very wicked, evil people, by a worldwide government led by a person that John nicknames the Antichrist, who's called the beast with a little b in the book of Revelation. And he's part of this worldwide government known as the beast. And if you remember, when we studied about this a couple of sessions ago, we learned that this, in Revelation 13, this beast is empowered by none other than the dragon, Satan himself. And it says that everyone worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they worshiped the beast. So this worldwide government, who is represented by the Antichrist, is a satanic government, and like we talked about last time or in a couple of sessions ago, the religion, the one world religion that is all in bed with this government is none other than a newer form of Baal worship, the worship of Satan, Lucifer himself. And these people who are singing this praise to God in this ceremony of the seven bowls were killed and murdered and martyred and tortured by this evil, wicked government, this satanic government. And it's time for judgment. And so, yes, people who are righteous do praise God when God finally intervenes in their lives and judges the wicked. And that's normal and it's appropriate because God is a just God. Now, let's go on and let's look at the bold judgments being prepared in this ceremony. Verse 5, Revelation 15, starting in verse 5. 
Then I looked and saw the temple in heaven. God's tabernacle was thrown wide open. The seven angels who were holding the bowls of the seven plagues came from the temple, clothed in spotless white linen with gold belts across their chests. And one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a bowl, a gold bowl filled with the terrible wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power. No one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completed pouring out the seven plagues. So at this part of the ceremony, the temple of God is in heaven, the real temple that the tabernacle and the earthly temples were based on. It is opened up and the four living beings give seven angels who have been selected for this judgment and prepared for this time are receiving seven golden bowls. And it says in verse seven, that the gold, each gold bowl is filled with the terrible wrath of God. Now, this is God's wrath being poured out, but not just here. It was being poured out all through this seven-year period of God's judgment. The trumpets were part of God's wrath too, but they, it was restrained in hopes that people would repent and get saved. The reason I know this is not the only time God's wrath is poured out is because of verse 1. Revelation 15, 1 again says, seven angels were holding the seven last plagues which would bring God's wrath to completion. You see, God brings judgment and his wrath comes upon us when we are doing evil and, and turning from him. But God's wrath is never just poured out all at once. He does it in stages, graduating from less severe to more severe. And the reason he does that is to give people time to repent. That's why the trumpets were done in the way they were, to give people more and more time to repent. Each one got worse and worse. And he does that in the hopes that they will not continue in their evil ways, but repent and worship him. But as we've already discussed, they didn't. They followed the Antichrist and united behind the beast, the Antichrist, and worshiped him and the one who gave him power, the dragon, the devil. And they are in union and united together against God. And that is why God's wrath is going to be completed and poured out to its final, uh, like I said earlier, the final dregs of the wine of his wrath. It will be poured out on them because they refuse to repent. Now, let's look at what these seven bold judgments are. Let's look and see what they are specifically. Revelation 16 uh, explains each judgment. Let's start off with the first one. Revelation 16, starting in verse 1. Then I heard a mighty voice shouting from the temple to the seven angels. Now go your ways and empty out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. So the first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl over the earth. And horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Now the first thing we want to notice is that 
God is pouring out his wrath. And if you look through this chapter, you'll see they're going to come real rapid. He's not spending a lot of time on each plague. And I think the reason he does that, and each one is described in a very short fashion, almost like a, a rapid fire staccato, boom, 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 boom. I think it's because a lot of these are still veiled. We will not know exactly uh, how long they will last or which one will overlap each other. We can only surmise that and guess at it. He doesn't give us a lot of details. But in this first one, he says that it's sores that appear on everyone who uh, worshiped the devil, took the mark of the beast. Now, in this translation, it said malignant sores, and that may make may make you think of cancer. Well, it's not really cancer that we think, at least not according to the Greek transcript. It could be anything according to the Greek. The Greek uses the phrase kakos kai poneros. Kakos kai poneros. And it literally means wicked and painful. In modern day parlance, you would probably call it uh, a really wicked, angry-looking, painful sore. And that's what they're getting. Is it a cancer? Could be. We don't know. It doesn't say. It just says that they're very angry-looking, wicked-looking, painful sores. That's the first bowl, the first bowl judgment. Now, the second one starts in verse 3. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and everything in the sea died. Now, this is probably a continuation of the second trumpet. If you remember, the second trumpet turned one-third of the sea to blood. One-third of the sea to blood. Let me read it. This is in Revelation chapter 8. And the second angel blew his trumpet, and a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. And one-third of the water of the sea became blood. One-third of all the living things in the sea died, and one-third of all the ships on the sea were destroyed. Now, we talked about how the, this could have been two possibilities. It could be a meteorite, but again, a meteorite is mentioned later on, so I, I don't think both of them are meteorites. I think a mountain of fire refers to an under-ocean volcano, that erupts and turns, you know, so much of the seed hot and it dies and people die because of this great eruption. That's what I think, but it could be either or, like I said. But the point is, it turns the sea, a third of it, to blood. And we're seeing the same thing with this second bowl judgment. So I think this kind of indicates that the judgments are continuing. And what do I mean by that? I mean that you see, just because God undoes a judgment, just because a, a trump is blown and a judgment is act, enacted, doesn't mean that that just goes a little bit of time and then stops when the next one occurs. Some of them may, some of them may not. But some of them, it's obvious, are continuing. Once the judgment starts, it just is continuing. And I think that's what John is getting across here that all the trumpet judgments are still evolving and growing and, and working their way through the earth. So everything that we've learned so far about the seven trumpet judgments are still going on when these bold judgments are occurring. And some of them are just the end result of the previous judgments continuing to their uh, logical conclusion. 
We see the same thing in the third bowl judgment. So let's start in verse 4. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs, and they became blood. And I heard the angel who had authority over all water saying, You are just in sending this judgment, O holy one, who is and always was. For your holy people and your prophets have been killed, and their blood was poured out on the earth. So you have given their murderers blood to drink. It is their just reward. And I heard a voice from the altar saying, Yes, Lord God Almighty, your punishments are true and just. So this third bowl judgment is very similar to the third trumpet. The third trumpet talked about a meteorite uh, that was called wormwood uh, in the uh, scripture. It fell and poisoned one-third of the water. Well, this is continuation of that judgment and is being compounded by the third bowl judgment. And all the fresh water becomes blood. And if you notice, this is such a very severe plague and judgment that a lot of people think, oh, God's being too harsh. But an angel says, this judgment is just because the one world government, the Antichrist, slaughtered all the believers in Christ and went after all the Jewish believers and slaughtered them all. And blood flowed from the saints that were living during this seven-year period and people who got saved during this seven-year period. And so the angel is saying, this is just. The enemy, Satan himself, backed this leader and they slaughtered all the believers. So this judgment is just. And I agree with that. You know, evil one day will pay the price for their evil. That's just the way it is. And God is just when he does it. Now, the fourth bowl judgment is what I call a sunburst of heat. Look at verse 8. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God who sent all these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Now, if you notice, in the fourth trumpet, it was darkness. Something happened where the sun's brightness, its light capacity was reduced by a third. Same thing at night. Uh, the stars were dimmed by a third. So there's a darkness that's going on. It's not as bright as it used to be. But this is exact opposite. This, they're being burned by blasts of heat from the sun. I think, obviously, this is indicating that there's some type of solar storm going on. It's clearly talking about some type of solar flare or solar storm that is just causing an increase in heat. And it is basically the real global warming. You know, we've talked about this before. Deep down in people's hearts, I think Satan is planting seeds of things that they can use to explain away God's judgments that are fixing to come. And one of them is people today are blaming a lot of the climate change on global warming. And who knows, it may be part of that. But like I've said, I, I think what's going on today has less to do with our carbon emissions than our sin emissions. We are a sinful world and a wicked people upon this earth. And so we are building up the time of judgment and judgments against us. 
So I think what's going on here is the fourth bowl judgment has some type of solar flare or storm, and this is causing intense heat upon everyone. And people will probably say, oh, this is the climate change we've been warning about. This is the global warning. Because remember, they don't repent. It says in verse 5, excuse me, verse 9, they did not repent and give God glory. They did not repent. They're coming up with an excuse to say, no, we will not repent. And they harden their heart even more against God himself, just like Pharaoh did. But let's go on. The fifth bold judgment. This is darkness for the kingdom of the beast. Look at verse 10 and 11. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. And his subjects ground their teeth in anguish, and they cursed the God in heaven for their pains and sores. But they refused to repent of all their evil deeds. Now, this fifth bold judgment, darkness upon the kingdom of the beast, in other words, upon the whole world, it's a one-world government now led by the beast, so this is darkness, and this is probably a continuation of that fourth trumpet that we mentioned, that darkness that crept over the earth, probably from that ocean volcano that blew and cast all the dust up into the sky. Or maybe, like I said, it might have been something going on with the sun, but I think it's probably the volcano. But for whatever's going on, after the sun, solar flares occurred, after this uh, solar storm occurred that caused all this heat in the fourth bowl, Everything's kind of going back to that same uh, judgment that was already enacted uh, in the fourth trumpet. The darkness is resuming, but now it's being even more severe. The darkness is getting even more dark. It is a continuation. It's getting worse. Now, it's interesting because this could be a physical darkness, like I said, maybe from the continuation of the fourth trumpet but it could also be talking about a spiritual darkness. And in that case, it'd be a, a continuation of the fifth trumpet, the demons that were released from the pit and the demonic mobs that plagued the earth in the sixth trumpet. So it could be that, or it could be uh, both. So we don't really know if this is just a physical darkness or a spiritual darkness. I think myself, it's both. Um, because the heart of the people are so wicked, they're already in that spiritual darkness. But this physical darkness also comes and resumes, and it gets worse. Now, in the phrase that I read in the New Living Translation, it says that ground their teeth. The people grind their teeth during this plague. In the Greek and some of the other translations that are out there today, it says they gnawed their tongues. And I think that's a lot more accurate. I think what's going on here is these people are in such pain from the sores and they don't have any water and the world is destroying, you know, collapsing and, and the destruction of the earth is so obvious in front of them. They have all this heat from the uh, sunburst of the sun in the fourth bowl and they're now in all this severe darkness and they're just left with their misery. And again, their darkened hearts, their spiritual darkness, they're plagued by that. And they're gnawing their tongues because they're in such pain and anguish of 
body and soul, and they are gnawing their tongues, chewing their tongues off. You know, that's severe pain when someone does that. So this is a horrible, horrible plague. But again, you can see the condition of their heart in it because they'd rather gnaw their tongues than repent. It says they refuse to repent of all their evil deeds. In verse 11, they cursed God of heaven for their pains and sores, and they refused to repent of their evil deeds. So they cursed God, and then they still refused to repent. All this because of the fifth bowl. They are refusing to turn to God for salvation. Let's go on because it gets worse. The sixth bowl in verse 12 through 16. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies westward without hindrance. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. These miracle-working demons caused all the rulers of the world to gather for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of the God Almighty. Take note, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their robes ready so they will not need to walk naked and ashamed. And they gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place called Armageddon in Hebrew. Now, this bowl right here, the sixth bowl, is referring to kings being drawn together and going to wage war against the Lamb. And it says clearly that the Euphrates drives up so that the kings of the east can march westward. Now, this is what I kind of hinted at several sessions ago. This is a real governmental army. This is not the same thing as the demonic mobs mentioned in the sixth trumpet. You know, in Revelation chapter 9, we looked at the sixth trumpet. And I told you that one of the theories is that this is people marching upon the Antichrist. But I said I didn't think it was because that occurred later. That, and I told you that the sixth trumpet was probably these demon-possessed mobs, these gangs, these uh, paramilitary forces, all demon-possessed that are raging and ravaging upon the earth. So I believe that is what's going on in Revelation 9. But here, it's clear, it is a real governmental army. It's a real kingdom. It's the king's of the Eastern Asian part of this one world government, the Eastern Asian provinces that are going against the Antichrist. Now think about it. Remember how I told you this one world government would be the, the uh, confederation of 10 kings, according to Daniel. Well, Daniel also talks about how some of the uh, kings would get mad at the Antichrist and march against him. And he talks about the kings of the East doing that in the book of Daniel. Well, this is the fulfillment also of that prophecy. This is happening just like Daniel said it would. And, and that's why John has seen this vision of it in the book of Revelation. And I think what's going on is pretty apparent. Even today, when things go bad, 
It doesn't matter if the whole world elected someone as the emperor of the world. When things go bad, they blame that emperor, don't they? Even if it's their own fault. And so here, just a few chapters earlier, everybody was uniting against the beast. I mean, excuse me, uniting behind the beast. And they all loved him and they worshiped him and they worshiped the devil because he gave the beast his power. And they were all behind him. But now these plagues are coming. They know it's coming from God, but they refuse to repent. And so who do they turn their anger on? Well, the Antichrist, the beast. And they're saying, we need to stop this. And so some of the kingdoms, the kings of the east, say, we're going to march on him and try and seize control. But look what happens. In verse 13, it says that John saw three evil spirits, three demons that leaped from the mouth of the dragon, which we already said is Satan. We've already talked about that in previous sessions. The beast, and that's with the little b. So that's the leader or the antichrist of the beast that came out of the sea, the one world government, and the false prophet. And of course, the false prophet, I already told you, was the leader of the one world religion that's in bed with the one world government, and it's leading everybody to worship Satan. So some demons from each of these three uh, entities, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, you know, Satan's a fallen angel, but he sends off one of his demons, and three demons come, and even though these kings are marching to go against the Antichrist, these demons use deceit, and it says they were given power to do miracles. And so the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet are able to manipulate these kings instead of rebelling against the one world government and against the Antichrist. They are saying, let's unite and go against God. Because if we can unite, we can defeat Christ. Now, this happened before. If you remember, in the Tower of Babel, that's what people were doing. They united together against God. They built this tower, and like we discussed, that was nothing but the beginning of Baal worship. It was considered a way of opening up the power to the spiritual world. It was very demonic, and God said, look how they're doing this against me now. So he, he gave everybody different languages and divided the human race to kind of stop what we were doing and give humanity more time to repent and see him. Well, they're back at it now. They're all uniting against the Messiah. And all of a sudden, there's a phrase here. Jesus gives a proclamation in the middle of this vision, verse 15. Jesus hollers out, take note. I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their robes ready, so they will not need to walk naked and ashamed. So he's sending out this warning, you know, reminding people, don't do this. This is the final siege and rebellion against God. Don't do this, because I will come quickly and defeat you. So again, he's pleading for them not to do it. But what happens in verse 16? They gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place called Armageddon. And that's the Hebrew word for it, Armageddon. So the sixth bowl, the sixth judgment, is the manipulation of these 
10 kings, the 10 king confederacy, and the kings of the east, and this rebellion that's beginning to arise against the Antichrist and fulfillment of Daniel's prophecies. But the demonic influences that uh, the dragon and the beast and the false prophet exert upon the population of the world get them to unite and say, yes, if we unite together, we can defeat God. And it says, they caused all the rulers of the world to gather to for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God Almighty. And they gathered together where? In the Valley of Armageddon. So at this point, all the people are refusing to repent and they march on together to set a battle at the Valley of Armageddon because somehow or another Satan's revealed to them that Jesus will return to Jerusalem. So they're preparing to attack Jesus when he does and defeat him and stay their evil humanistic kingdom. Now let's go on. The seventh bowl, verse 17 Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a mighty shout came from the throne of the temple in heaven, saying, It is finished. Then the thunder crashed and rolled, and lightning flashed, and there was an earthquake greater than ever before in human history. The great city of Babylon split into three pieces, and cities around the world fell into heaps of rubble. And so God remembered all of Babylon's sins, and he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island disappeared, and all the mountains were leveled. And there was a terrible hailstorm, and hailstones weighing 75 pounds fell from the sky onto the people below. They cursed God because of the hailstorm, which was a very terrible plague. So this Seventh bowl is a worldwide earthquake. It's the worst earthquake that ever happened in human history. It's the worst one ever. And it destroyed the capital of this one world government, which is nicknamed Babylon here. And again, keep looking. See if you can figure out what that city is. Because John reveals it with some clues in Revelation chapter 17. We'll look at that next time. But for now, it just is still hidden. It's the city of Babylon. It's split. It's destroyed. In other words, uh, it's torn asunder. Maybe uh, when it says broken into three pieces, maybe uh, somehow or another it ripped it up and destroyed it so much that water erupted and divided the city. It doesn't say. But somehow or another, it just, just totally destroyed it, broke it up into three big sections. So it's the worst earthquake in the world's history. It causes tsunamis. And they flood over a lot of these islands, and all the islands are disappearing because, you know, that's what causes an island. They're kind of low enough to where the ocean surrounds part of it and breaks them off from the land that they're connected to. And so the water rises up from this huge earthquake, and the tsunamis wipe out these islands. And this earthquake so severe that the uh, mantle of the earth starts crumbling, and the mountains crumble. The mountains are leveled. Not only that, hail comes down worldwide, and each hail, each um, particle of hail is 75 pounds. Each hailstone is 75 pounds. So this, you know, you got to picture all this. 
They have all these sores on them, and they're in this darkness, and they rise up to defeat the Antichrist, and then they're fooled once again by the, uh, the demonic influences of the worldwide government from the beast and, and the dragon, the false prophet. And so they unite again. Instead of repenting, they go after Jesus. They say, we will surround Jerusalem. They show up at Jerusalem near the Valley of Armageddon, and their God starts judging them with the seventh and final bold judgment. There's a worldwide earthquake and hail falls on everyone. And do they repent? No. They curse God because of the hail storm, which was a very terrible plague. And that, my brothers and sisters, sums up the heart of wickedness. You know, in the book of Jeremiah, God tells Jeremiah several times, he says, look, go and preach there at the temple when people are worshiping in the hopes that they will hear that the judgment's coming and that they will repent. And God even says, look, if they repent even now, I will stop the judgment. But they didn't. And you see, judgment is part of God's mercy. It's trying to get people to wake up and repent. And three different times we read in this chapter about how when they were being convicted, they refused to repent and hardened their heart even more. And here, what do they do? Do they repent? No. They curse God because of the punishment so severe. They don't say, oh, this is such a severe punishment. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please save me. No. They refuse God's grace. They refuse his salvation. They curse God because of their punishment that they deserve and that they are getting, but they curse God for it instead of repenting. That's like someone who steals, uh, you know, robs from a bank and steals everybody's money and then gets arrested and thrown in jail and the thief curses the people who throw him in jail because it's such a severe punishment when they should repent of their sin. And that's what's going on. You see, God still is wanting people to get saved. But at this point, they've hardened their hearts and judgment comes. It's just like when Noah had to build the ark for the flood. Noah shared what was going on with the people. If you read Hebrews, you can see that he was a man of faith. And, and so obviously people are wondering what's going on and he's telling them what's going to happen, but none of them repent. They harden their hearts until that day comes and the door is sealed and the rain starts falling. Then they're begging to be let in, but it's too late. Judgment has come. And that's what's happening here. And I want to talk to y'all, if you, you know, all my friends out there who aren't saved. Many of y'all are thinking, I'm so silly, I'm just crazy. And for years, I've tried talking to some of y'all to get saved, but you've refused. I'm begging you, please listen to these judgments. One, the seven years, once the seven years starts of God's, uh, judgment upon the earth, the time of Jacob's distress. He has witnesses, the 144,000 Jewish missionaries. He has people getting saved. The gospel is spreading. Of course, everyone's being persecuted and martyred. 
but you can get saved during it. But many people harden their hearts and they go through these awful judgments. And if you are alive now and you don't have Jesus as your Savior, you can avoid all of this. Take Jesus as your Savior now. Realize that you are a sinner and repent of your sins now. Don't harden your heart against God. Repent now and avoid these horrible judgments. Get saved now so you can avoid the seven-year period of God's judgment upon the earth. But you know something? A lot of people don't do it, and a lot of people won't repent now, even though the gospel is being spread to every corner of the earth. A lot of people will shake their fists at God and refuse to repent now. And they should to avoid this. But a lot of people refuse. And people say, one of the reasons they say that they don't believe in God is because they will never believe in a God that causes such judgment. And that's just plain silly. There is only one true God, and he's telling you what's going to happen before it happens. He's giving you a chance to repent. And if you sit there and say, well, this is too severe. These plagues are too severe. We don't deserve such judgment. Then I, I want to remind you that we do. We live in a world where murder is commonplace, where People steal each other's goods, and it's all commonplace. We have seen in our own nation riots going on for a year now, and hatred among the races going on and on and on. We've seen physical attacks on people. We've seen shootings. We've seen bombings. Yeah, we're an evil people in this world. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Millions upon millions upon millions, if you add up all the abortions worldwide, hundreds of millions of babies have been murdered in the womb. We are an evil people and deserve judgment. We have gone against God's ordained design for humankind and marriage, where it's one man and one woman uniting together. We've gone against that. And we've created our own type of, of humanity against what God designed. We say homosexuality is okay. We say bisexuality is okay. We say transgenderism is okay. And we have said same-sex marriage is okay. We are going against what God designed for the human race and saying, no, we can design it better. And many people in this culture say there's no such thing as just a male half of the species and a female species. There's all this in between now. Well, that's not of God. That's because of our evil. And now we're at a point where parents are teaching their young four- and five-year-old children to change their sex, saying, look, we'll change your sex. You can be transgender. Instead of teaching them the truth, that's horrible. And these are just a few of the wickedness and the wicked sins and the, the total abhorrent wickedness that's throughout this world. We have genocide still going on in various places of the world. It didn't just stop in World War II with the Germans trying to commit genocide against the Jews. No, things like this are still going on. 
The evil is still there. People in today's news media are still trying to blame everything on Christians here in America. They are trying to whip up a fervor against Christianity even now and start the persecution. So yes, the world is evil. And instead of repenting, when the gospel is there for everyone to repent and be saved, they are shaking their fists against God and refusing to repent. And one day, the door to the ark, the spiritual ark, will be sealed and judgment will rain down on them. And still, they will curse God instead of find salvation. This is why the book of Revelation was written by John to warn people so that they can repent and not go through this. So I encourage you, Christians, fellow believers, brothers and sisters, talk to your loved ones, talk to your friends, warn them of what is written in this book, warn them of the upcoming judgment when it happens and warn them that Jesus can come back just like he says in verse 15. He can come as unexpectedly as a thief, but blessed are all who are watching for me and who keeps their robes ready. Tell them that he can come like that and to get ready now. And you, brothers and sisters, keep yourselves ready and keep your eyes to the sky and read your Bible. Thank you for listening to Todd Talks Bible, sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. For more information, please visit churchdiscipleshipministries.com or check today's show notes for the link. Our teachings are also available on YouTube. Simply search for Todd Talks Bible. I'm Brian Race, encouraging you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also consider sharing this timely teaching with someone you believe needs to hear it. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 